Thank you, Billy. Let's try this again. It is good to be with you this morning. If you're a guest with us, my name is Chad Poe, and I will be here on the regular starting in April. So uh, we are excited to get here. My wife and I are uh, looking forward to being with you guys in worship each and every week and, and looking into God's Word together. We are in the midst of a series called The Stories We Tell as we walk through the various Bible stories and we look at the things that you may or may not have read as a child and we show Jesus in the midst of that. This morning we're going to look at a culmination of those stories because what we find in the Bible is that God is working throughout to tell this overarching story. It's called the biblical meta narrative that we would look and that we would see Jesus, if you have your Bibles, open those to Genesis chapter 22. We're going to end in the book of Revelation, so we may be here a while. <laughs> Genesis chapter 22. We have the story of a man named Abraham, as you know from your childhood singing. Father Abraham had... Many sons and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. Right arm. So we know this tune. It's one that we have heard over and over and over. And you've done the hokey pokey in the midst of it. We hear this song about a father. The thing with Abraham is he was not always a father. As a matter of fact, he did not become a father until he was really old. And his wife was also really old. TLC could do a special on these people that would change the entire world. It is a very unique story of a man who is waiting for God's blessing. Being a dad is an interesting thing. I'm not very good at it. You'll realize that over and over and over. I'll tell you from week to week. Sometimes my wife says, you shouldn't tell people stuff like that. But it's just true. Let's just be real with one another. When I was 16 years old, I was in high school, and I was in a home economics class. And the first semester of the class, they told us, you're in groups, and every day of, of every week of class, your group will prepare a meal together. And you will be assigned various things within the meal. Now, I am the one boy in a class of 17 girls because I did not... Um, I wasn't what you call a ladies' man, so I like to have my odds heavy. So, uh, every week this group of girls would tell me, hey, uh, you just make the Kool-Aid. I don't know how insulting that should have been, but it was. Second semester, we're not going to make meals. We're going to learn to be parents. So, in 2017, when you are going to be a test parent in high school, they give you a plastic doll. And they send the doll home with your child, and they punish you with it. So this doll is at home with you, and it does things where it will make a terrible noise. So when the plastic doll is plastic tired, it makes a noise to the effect of, ah, because it sounds like a goat. And you take a key, insert the key into the doll, and when you turn the key, it is no longer tired. When the plastic doll is plastic hungry, it makes the same noise. You insert the key into the plastic doll again, and it is no longer hungry. When the plastic doll takes a plastic poo, you insert the key into the doll because it has made the noise. 
Let me be honest with you as a father of four. There is no key for this situation. When we... So I am in this class and they didn't give us the doll. They didn't even give us a bag of flour. They gave us an egg. They told us to name the egg. My last name is Poe, so I named my egg Edgar Allan Poe. And that's a better joke than you just gave me credit for. We're going to learn to work together in this. So I've got this egg that I'm taking care of every day and my sole reason for existence in Mrs. Prigmore's home economics class is to take care of my egg, to be a good father, to protect the egg, to preserve the egg, to make sure that it is um, at the end of the semester still intact. My egg was egg-napped at one point in the year by some friends. There, I think it was my English teacher as a matter of fact. Which lets you know she was not really focusing much on literature. And I, I have the egg at the last week of the class. The lunch bell rings. And as you can tell, that's my favorite sound. And when it sounded, I took off with my basket and I flung the egg across the room. The idea of being a parent is not something you learn from an egg or a plastic doll. Because your position and your place in the life of a child is to protect, to preserve, to make sure that they're taken care of, to love, to encourage, to send them forward, to make them better, to help them be all that they need to be, to preserve. So Abraham and I and his wife Sarah have been waiting for a baby for year and after year after year after year. They've been told by God, you're going to be the father of many nations. And every day he looks at his wife and they don't have a baby yet. How am I going to be the father of many nations when I can't be the father of one child? Eventually, his wife tells him to have a baby with another woman. But that's not the promise, the way that God's going to fulfill his promise. Eventually, God gives Sarah a baby through Abraham. And when they have this baby, he is loved, he is cared for, He is a picture of all that God wants to do. As God tells his story of caring for a nation through this man. And then God sits down with Abraham in a conversation. And I use that phrase figuratively. And in Genesis chapter 22, this father whose job was to protect and persevere is told by God to do something that is not imaginable. 22 verse 1, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to Abraham, Abraham, first name basis. And Abraham replied, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose up early the next morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, as well as his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering. And he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. 
And then Abraham said to the young man, the young men, stay here with the donkey. Me and the boy will go over there and we will worship. And we'll come back to you. The, the, the words in that passage, as you begin to read through them, you see this crazy story where a father gets up after being told by God, you take your son and you're going to offer him as a sacrifice. And it always astounds me that Abraham gets up early the next morning. If this is me, I'm dreading this. As much as I want to be obedient to God, the idea of offering up any of my children is something that is a little bit overwhelming. He gets up early the next morning. He takes two of his young men with him. The, these two young men and, and Isaac head towards this place where he will be sacrificed, though they don't know this. The only one who knows what God has told him to do is Abraham. And as they begin to trend in that direction, there comes a point where he stops because he sees Moriah from afar, says to the young men, you guys wait, we are going to worship. And when you read through this in the original language, it's all plural. What a faith this happens to be. We will worship. And it literally says, we will come back. The book of Hebrews tells us that Abraham had such a belief in God that beforehand, when he has no, when he has nothing whatsoever to tell him that God would ever offer up a substitute, that Abraham believed that God would either offer a replacement or even bigger, that God would bring this boy back from the dead after he'd been sacrificed. Abraham's faith was massive. So as they keep moving in that direction, you see verse 5, uh, verse 6 rather. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac his son. He made him carry the wood. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And they both went together. Isaac, not the brightest apple on the tree at this point in the scenario begins to look around and he says daddy as we're heading there daddy we've got the wood and you've got the knife and we've got everything that is needed for a sacrifice except the sacrifice father he said here I am, your son. Here I am, son. And the, Isaac replied, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Eight, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar. Dad, this is you. Laying out the wood. Arranging it in the way that you would arrange a sacrifice. He laid the wood in order and he bound Isaac his son and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. History tells us that the belief is that Isaac is around the age of 
18, 19, 20 at this point. So at some point in this, he realizes what his father is doing. And you notice that the faith of his father has rubbed off on the son because there is no restraint. Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham replied, here I am. Yep, right here. Do not lay your hand on the boy. Or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. This, I, and here in the passage, God provides a ram in the thicket. God sets up the idea of an atonement which is substitutionary. God providing a replacement for, his, for the son Isaac who was to be sacrificed. We are able to worship and be part of the phrase that we worship. We are going to worship and we will come back to you. We can worship because a price has been paid. A substitute has been given to us. God has given us a replacement for the sacrifice that we ourselves should have had to make. Because we were unable to make it. This place, Moriah, is very important in scriptures. What what we find as you move through the history and as you move through the scriptures, that this place begins to be a more and more prominent location for the Jewish people. Eventually, you have another story that you're familiar with about a king named David. And, and David is, has made a very terrible decision in 2 Samuel. And in 2 Samuel chapter... 24. And when he makes this terrible decision, he has to make a sacrifice to deal with the sins of, to deal with his sins for the sake of the people. And in 2 Samuel chapter 24, beginning in verse 18, and Gad came that day to David, Gad being the prophet of the Lord, and said, Go up, raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aranea the Jebusite. This very area where Abraham was going to offer up Isaac. So David went up at Gad's word. And when Aranea looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming towards him. And Aranea went and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. Because that's how you receive a king. And Aranea said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? To buy the threshing floor from you, David said. In order to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be averted from the people. And Aranaeus said this, what you would say to a king who wants your stuff. Let my king have the oxen, you can have the wood, you can have the area, you can have everything to make your sacrifice king. I trust you, I'm for you, I'm on your side. This man who's not a Jewish person who does not have the faith of David. All that he knows is that a king has come to him and made a request. And Aranea says in verse 22, Let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering. 
and the threshing sledges and the yokes of oxen for the wood. All this I give to you, my king. May the Lord your God accept you. And here you have someone saying, here's the stuff and here's the reply of David. No. I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. We worship because a price has been paid. This costs something. You and me being able to sit in this room on a Sunday morning after we've had our donuts and kolaches or whatever other Texas thing we enjoy after we've drank coffee, if we've stopped at Whataburger, just walking you through my day so far. <laughs> we can turn the screens on. We can open our mouths. We can have scripture reading. We can do everything that we do in this room and it have and importance and it be significant because God offered up a sacrifice for us we worship because a price has been paid not only that this price that he paid fulfilled a promise we if you're a note taker Note one, we worship because a price has been paid. Note two, we worship because a promise has been fulfilled. Again, looking at this overarching story of the Bible, I want you to turn with me to the book of Zechariah chapter 3. In Zechariah chapter 3, you have a man who is a prophet of the Lord. He stands on behalf of God before the people. He is God's representative and there is a man who happens to be the high priest. Joshua looks, this prophet, to examine... Or Zechariah, rather, looks at Joshua to examine what's taking place. And in, and in Zechariah chapter 3, we see the vision that God gives Zechariah as to how he views us. Not just Joshua the high priest, how God would view me, how God would view you, how God sees us in and of ourselves. Zechariah chapter 3. Then God showed me Joshua the high priest... Standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is Joshua not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua, the high priest, was standing in filthy garments. In his, book, King's, in his book, King's Cross, Tim Keller tells a story about what the Day of Atonement represents. The Day of Atonement is a hugely, massively significant day tied to the sacrifice of the Jewish people as they trust God. And the belief on this Day of Atonement is that the high priest is your champion. He is the one who represents you in every way rallied around the high priest they had a trust in the high priest because after all they would come from near and far and they would bring their sacrifices to him and the high priest would go before the Lord and offer them up on the behalf of the people he was their champion now we know how a champion works we all have champions 
The cool thing about Grace Bible is that you're just a mishmash of everything. I met maybe two people from Texas when I was here a few weeks ago. You're from everywhere. Now, if you're a Texan, you have a champion. You're either an Aggie. Anybody? Or you're a Longhorn. I got horns thrown. I got like six red raiders in the room looking at me. So, you've got that. So, and then you've got the other people here. Some of you are LSU fans. And, and, and some of you cheer for that red team in Alabama. And some of us are Tennessee fans, right? So, and, and then you've got some in this room who are uh, Ohio State Buckeyes. Do I have some of that? I've got a Purdue Boilermaker in here, if I'm not mistaken. I've got people from Indiana. I've got everything in this room. Just a mashup of people. I've got Razorbacks in this room somehow. <laughs> I've got everything. We've got everything. So on a Saturday, you wake up. Your team's going to play. I'm a Tennessee fan, just to be completely honest with you. And I wake up and I wait to watch my team play. If they win, I win. If they lose, I lose. When Tennessee played Florida this year, we were down by 18 points at halftime. I stress ate three-fourths of a pizza. <laughs> but they represent everything to you. If you're in one of those core areas, whether it's Knoxville or Tuscaloosa or Baton Rouge, your worship services are affected the next day. You have to have weeping and gnashing of teeth. You have a champion. Joshua the high priest is the champion of the people. So much so that a week before the Day of Atonement... He is separated from them. Separated from everything. He is cleaned. He is bathed. They give him linen garments. Pure white garments. They give him the week to pray, to read scripture, to trust what God is going to do on that day of atonement. On the day of atonement, he walks in and he offers up a sacrifice on his behalf. He's the champion of the people and he has to have a sacrifice paid for him as well. He comes out. They take his clothes off. They, give, they bathe him again. They give him brand new garments. When they give him the brand new garments, he goes in again after he has been cleansed purely and he offers up a sacrifice on behalf of all of the priests. Thirdly, he leaves again. They take the filthy garments off yet again. They bathe him again. They give him new linens again. And this time he goes in on behalf of all of the people. And here's the kicker for it. The entirety of the time that he's going in and out to offer up these sacrifices, the entirety of the nation of Israel is watching. He's their champion. If he messes up, they lose. If he wins, they win. If he loses, they lose. Everything is tied to him. His cleanliness matters. So here in Zechariah chapter 3, we have this great high priest who's loved, who's cared for, who is the representative of the people. And this is how God sees him. 
Verse 3. Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. The word filthy doesn't do it justice. The actual word means he was covered in dung. Try as they might in their own natural circumstances to make this man clean. When the God of the Bible looked at him, it was as if he were covered in poo. For those of us in this room, the weight of where our hearts trend should speak Because if the high priest of the Lord is covered in animal filth, why would we ever think that us making sure that we use polite language would make God happy with us? The high priest is covered in filth and we begin to see the actions of the Lord on his behalf. Remove the filthy garments from him, God says in verse 4. And to him he said, Behold, I've taken your iniquity from you. The idea of your iniquity being taken is an action of God. And I will clothe you with pure vestments. Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and they clothed him with garments and the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my way and keep my charge, you will rule my house and have charge of my courts and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now Joshua the high priest. You and your friends, these other priests who sit before you, They are men who are a sign. What does he mean by that? Every year they would offer up sacrifices on behalf of the people. Every year they would make sure everything was just right. Every year they would make sure that the people were clean in the way that they needed to be clean. Every year God was acting in a way through these men. But what God is ultimately saying is what takes place here, it's just a sign. It's pointing us to something greater. It's taking us to something more important. What you do in your actions takes us to a greater action. Notice this. I love it. For behold, verse 8, Hear now Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, on that stone I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord, and I will remove I will remove the iniquity of the land in a single day. Joshua, every year that you've been going through the motions of being cleansed and cleansed and cleansed some more. Every year that the Jewish people have celebrated Yom Kippur, every year that you've done these things for the sake of doing these things, I want you to know they were important, but they were not of the utmost importance. Because all that you've been doing is to relieve the people of their sins. I'm actually going to do that On a single day. 
that place, Moriah, just steps away from where the, the, the temple of Solomon's been built. That's where Joshua, the high priest, is offering up these sacrifices. You take a few short steps. And on the day of ultimate atonement, not far from the place where David offered up a sacrifice that cost him something, not far from the place where God told Abraham to offer up his son Isaac, on a single day, the sins of the world were put upon one man who would stretch out his arms and absorb the wrath of God on our behalf and choose to do so. The veil was torn in two from top to bottom not to make anyone think this was a human thing. We worship because God has fulfilled a promise. Finally, we worship because a prize has been won. Go with me to Revelation chapter 5. I told you, start to finish. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed seven seals and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals who can do it who can be the one to deal with the sins of the people who has enough When you have kids, you have to go to places you don't want to go, like Chuck E. Cheese, <laughs> where you eat pizza that has cardboard for a crust, ketchup for sauce, and great value cheese on top of it. <laughs> you're not there for the pizza, you're there for the experience of hoping your kid does not catch the flu. <laughs> Dropping him in hand sanitizer when you leave. Jared mentioned earlier whack-a-mole. That's a game that you play. They give, they give you the Chuck E. Cheese coins and you play whack. So you whack the mole. That's how it works. You go shoot the basketball on the funny-shaped goal. And every time you play one of these games, you win tickets. Right? It's feeding you tickets after you've played skee-ball. Skee-ball is like archery and bowling had a baby and <laughs> so your kid has a collection of tickets in his hand or her hand sometimes hundreds of tickets that cost you thousands of dollars <laughs> And you as a parent surely think my kid's got enough tickets when they step to the counter and they want to buy the stuffed animal 
that's the size of earth. And the 14-year-old behind the counter stands as the stubborn enforcer that lets your child who's been working so hard know you don't have enough tickets. Who's worthy to open the scroll? All these characters from the Bible that we know and all these stories that we've been telling, all of these things that we've heard our entire lives, all the things we've learned from felt board and singing vegetables. Up, trying to open the scroll, Abraham walks up. Abraham, Father Abraham, who we talked about earlier, and God looks at him based in his merit and says, You do not have enough tickets. Moses, who led the children of Israel at the Exodus, walks up. God, here, here, here's all that I've done. He doesn't have enough tickets. Peter walks up, doesn't have enough tickets. David walks up, doesn't have enough tickets. Person after person, champion after champion, story after story of the Bible come up and they stand before trying to open the scroll and they are unworthy. Men that have shaped the church come up. Martin Luther. Martin Luther who made sure that we could read the Bible in English and various other languages. Doesn't have enough tickets. John Calvin comes up, doesn't have enough tickets. Ulrich Zwingli, which is a fun name to say, comes up, doesn't have enough tickets. Men who write songs that we know, like the Wesleys, don't have enough tickets. Billy Graham comes up and doesn't have enough tickets. Tim Tebow can't read his own defense and doesn't have enough tickets. No one has enough tickets. What a problem. The problem of you standing with your kid magnified because eternity is at stake, not a dumb bear. Rule 4 of Revelation 5. I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David not the shoot the one from whom David came has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals so we have a lion And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing. What? We were just talking about a lion. Why are we talking about a lamb? As one pastor says, if you do not realize that you deserve the wrath of the lion, you will never receive the mercy of the lamb. As though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fell down before the Lamb. 
each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Can you imagine if you're standing there? Please go there with me. Because if you're going there with me, your heart is more in tune with this than it seems to be. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne all the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and every creature on earth and every creature under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory forever and ever 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 and ever. Amen. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and they worshipped. The word Amen is one of my favorites in the Bible. Because here towards the end of all that Scripture has been teaching, as we look at places where sacrifices have happened, as we look at the filth of humanity in the real eyes of God, There is one who stands in our place as our great sacrifice and our great champion. And all of creation and all that is within it. When they look at him holding an open scroll, they say, Amen. Which means this is the way it is. The stories that we've been telling have been saying that this Jesus offered up fully for us is the way it is. We worship because a price has been paid. A promise has been fulfilled. And a prize has been won. Let's worship together. Would you bow your heads with me? With your heads bowed, I just want you to know, uh, I want us to always be careful. We just do things instantaneously. We pray for the sake of praying and bow for the sake of bowing. Before I pray over us, I want you to know that prayer is not you listening with your eyes closed while I talk with my eyes closed. Can I just encourage you in this moment with your head bowed, just to thank God that this is the way it is that the Savior has been given to us maybe even whisper that thank you Jesus we just say that a few times ourselves thank you Jesus
Jesus worship belongs to you because worship is about you and God as we move forward as a church I pray that you will help us to see that it's about you that our lives will be shaped by your sacrifice that our hope would be full because of your mercy and love towards us that we would see the world around us in need and that we would seek to meet those needs because you matter so Jesus make yourself clear make yourself known make yourself let us hear from you because you matter and your word matters and you've told us this massive story and let this be a story that shapes us we ask all this in your holy name Lord Jesus and everyone stands and says